Hey there, filled with messages, friends. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you don't know me, I'm Ruth Farrell, and amongst other things, I'm the lead pastor at St. Peter United Church of Christ in Lake Zurich, Illinois. I haven't found any pirates on my family tree yet, and I'm a little mad about it. I want a little scallywag in my blood. It's a good excuse for acting rascally myself. That said, I do have some pretty cool ancestors. Two of them corresponded with President Abraham Lincoln. Many, many of them served in the armed forces, some even giving their lives in service. One of my grandmothers was friends with another other than Cloud Debussy, the musician whose piano music my fingers love to play. A great-grandfather was an artist in the court of Louis XIV at Versailles. It's quite the trip walking through the halls of that august place, knowing someone with whom you shared DNA lived and worked there. While many of my blood relatives are pretty cool, I also have a chosen family tree filled with wonderful people. Our chosen families are the people we intentionally enter into caring, nurturing, loving relationships with, but to whom we are not related by blood or marriage. Those in our chosen families are more than just friends. They are friends with whom we have a deep and lasting committed connection. Many create chosen families when they have lost or it is not safe for them to be around their biological families. And while the term chosen family originated with the LGBTQ community, it is now used widely. Today's scripture passage is one of Jesus's two genealogies. On face value, it might look like a traditional family tree. When we peel back its layers and our assumptions about how genealogies typically work, we find that it's really Jesus's chosen family tree. It contains heroes and murderers, individuals lost to history and some of the most famous in history. Perhaps most shockingly, it contains many women, which was extremely uncommon for genealogies in Matthew's day. Honestly, when most of us happen upon the genealogies in the Bible, there are lots of them, we skip over them. They seem completely unimportant, just a meaningless list of names we can't pronounce. To hopefully capture your attention a little more, I'm going to read from the First Nations translation of Matthew 1 this morning. The translator provides not just each literal name, for instance, Abraham, but also a meaning of that name in Abraham's case, father of many nations. Hopefully hearing the text this way will capture your imagination in a way a simple list of names might not. Hear these words from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Here is the record of the ancestry of Creator Sets Free, Jesus, the Chosen One, a descendant of much-loved one, David, and a father of many nations, Abraham. From father of many nations, Abraham, to much-loved one, David, his ancestors were. Father of many nations, Abraham, he made us laugh, Isaac. Heel-grabber, Jacob. Give him praise, Judah, and his brothers. He breaks through, Perez, and his brother first light, Zerah, whose mother was fruit of palm tree, Tamar. Circle of Tippus. Hezron, lifted up, Ram. Noble relative, Abinadab. Talks with snakes, Nashon. 
He makes peace, Salmon. Moves with strength, Boaz, whose mother was beautiful woman, Rahab. He works hard, Obed, whose mother was beautiful friend, Ruth. Original man, Jesse, who was the father of the great chief, much loved one, David. From much loved one, David, to the removal to village of confusion, Babylon, the ancestors of creator sets free, Jesus, were much loved one, David, stands in peace, Solomon, whose mother, daughter of seven, Bathsheba, was the wife of fire from creator, Uriah. Big people maker, Rehoboam, he is my father, Abijah, gathers the people, Asa, he makes wrongs right again, Jehoshaphat, creator is above, Jehoram, my great power, Uzziah, creator has no equal, Jotham, held by creator, Ahaz, he will be strong, Hezekiah, he made them forget, Manasseh, burden bearer, Ammon, good medicine, Josiah, and chosen by creator, Jeconiah, and his brother at the time of the removal to village of confusion, Babylon. From the removal to village of confusion, Babylon, to the birth of creator sets free, Jesus. His ancestors were chosen by creator, Jeconiah, ask creator, Shealtiel, born in village of confusion, Zerubbabel, father boasts in him, Abihud, he builds up, Eliakim, he helps, Azer, stands with a good heart, Zadok, stands form, firm, Akim, power of creator, Eliud, creator helps him, Eleazar, gifted by creator, Mathen, heel grabber, Jacob, and he gives sons, Joseph, who was the husband of bitter tears, Mary, who gave birth to creator, sets free Jesus, who is the chosen one. And so there were 14 generations from father of many nations, Abraham, to much loved one, David, 14 more from much loved one, David, until the removal to village of confusion, Babylon, and then 14 more from the removal to creator, sets free Jesus, the chosen one. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, open our hearts, minds, and bodies to hear you speaking to us words of hope and peace, joy, and love. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your eyes, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Typically, the first chapter of a book introduces the main character and begins weaving a compelling plotline. Believe it or not, with his genealogy, Matthew was doing exactly that. Through listing Jesus's lineage, Matthew is capturing his audience's attention, telling them that this Jesus whom he is writing about was the real deal. He was the Messiah, the Savior for whom the Israelites had waited and hoped for thousands of years. While many of us enjoy sniffing around our family trees, for the most part, they do not define us. However, in many ancient cultures and non-Western cultures today, A person's genealogy set the tone for their lives. Jesus's family tree was one to be envied. Not only could his family line be drawn through Abraham, where most Jews started their history, but Jesus could draw his line through David, 
the great king of Israel. In other words, Jesus had royal blood. We Americans come from a long line of people who dump perfectly good tea into harbors in defiance of royalty, so it can be a little hard for us to understand just how dazzling it was for Jesus to be one of King David's great times a lot grandsons. But Matthew's first readers would have paid close attention when they heard that detail. While Jesus's royal blood was rather impressive, the family tree onto which he born was a truly mixed bag. Rather than descending through the firstborn male in each generation, Jesus came from many second sons, questionable characters, and decidedly concerning encounters. Let's take King David for an example. While scripture tells us he was a person after God's own heart, Matthew highlights two of David's most egregious sins. At one point in his life, rather than leading his men in battle, David stayed at home, enjoying the comforts of his palace. While his men were dying on the battlefield, David lusted after a woman, sent his guards to force her to come to him, and then did to her what he wanted. Let me be very clear, this was not adultery. Bathsheba, called Uriah's wife by Matthew, was not a willing participant. She had no choice but to allow her king to do what he wanted with her. Then, to cover up his violence towards Bathsheba, David had Uriah murdered. If we dig into the lives of many of the men in Jesus' genealogy, we find similar stories. The things some of these men did are so reprehensible that it would be irresponsible for me to speak of them. We often cover up the hideousness of their choices through Sunday school versions of their stories, but when we pull back the curtain, we find deeply disturbing acts on the part of many of Jesus' ancestors, these men whom we often glorify in church settings. So why did Matthew list these men of questionable character on Jesus's family tree? Wouldn't you want to downplay the scoundrels on a royal line? Many of these men were also people of great faith. They were both sinners and saints. Perhaps therein lies part of Matthew's point. All of us are a mixture of sinner and saint. None of us are totally flawed, since all of us are made in God's image and are God's beloved children, but all of us make choices at times that are not right. The good news is that God continues to love us, work in and through us, no matter who we are or where we are in our life's journey. God used the liars, murderers, and bullies on Jesus's family tree to bring the Savior into this world. God does not need or ask us to be perfect. God invites us to do our best to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. But even on those days when we miss those marks, which is the literal definition of sin, God still loves us and blesses us. To be fair, not all of the men on Jesus' family tree had very disturbing episodes in their stories. While the good guys were also a mixture of sinner and saint, because even the most godly of us are, They offered many gifts and graces to the world. For instance, 12 of the Psalms are attributed to Asa, son of Abijah and father of Jehoshaphat. His poet's heart wrote beautiful phrases like, Restore us, God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. We're not quite done with Jesus's male ancestors yet. 
Matthew also lists a few people whose stories have been lost to history. For example, we know nothing about Jesus' great-grandfather, Mathen, or even his grandfather, Jacob. But even people whose stories have been lost are important in Jesus' story, for they were integral parts of bringing healing, hope, peace, joy, and love here to earth. Now to the five women on Matthew's list. If a first century Israelite was forced to put some women on a family tree as important as this one, you might expect someone like Sarah, Abraham's wife, the mother of many nations. Or maybe Deborah, the great leader of Israel in the time before the kings. If you were really stretching, maybe you'd think of Esther, who bravely saved God's people from annihilation. But really, you wouldn't want any women on a family tree for someone as important as the Messiah. But instead, Matthew lists five women of very questionable character and reputation, all of whom were not Israelites. Tamar's story is absolutely gutting. Here again, much of it I cannot discuss in detail because it is so disturbing. What I can say is that Tamar, who is a Canaanite, not an Israelite, in order to get the justice she deserved and desperately needed to survive, when left with no other choice, disguised herself as a prostitute, and seduced the man who refused to treat her justly. Rahab is another Canaanite. For centuries, she has been described as a prostitute. However, recent archaeological evidence suggests that perhaps this is a mistranslation and she should be listed as an innkeeper. Regardless, she was a non-Israelite woman who had an unusual job for her day. Women didn't typically own and operate businesses. And perhaps she also used her body to make a living. She saved two Israelite spies by hiding them from the king on her roof and, once the coast was clear, lowering them to safety by a rope. If she had been caught, she would have been killed as a traitor. Then we have Ruth, whose story is not even remotely the Hallmark movie we like to make it into. Ruth also seduced a man to ensure her safety and that of her mother-in-law. Like the two women before her on Matthew's list, Ruth was also not an Israelite. She was from modern-day Jordan. I've already mentioned Bathsheba's story, so I won't add anything more right now to that. Last, but certainly not least, we have Jesus's mother herself. While we mostly see Mary through rose-colored glasses, it's not the way she would have been seen by her contemporaries. In Mary's day, becoming pregnant before marriage was a significant offense. While Joseph decided not to divorce her, he was well within his rights to do so. The scandal of the conception of her firstborn would have stuck with Mary for the rest of her life. Oh, and also the story about how she got pregnant was ridiculous, which probably led people to question her sanity. Mary took incredible risks to her person, to her reputation, when she said yes to God. Her willingness to do so enabled good news to be proclaimed to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and God's favor for all. While today we can see how amazing, take charge, and brave the women on Jesus' family tree were, in their own day, and to Matthew's first readers, their appearance on Jesus' genealogy would have been scandalous. But this also seems to be intentional. 
As one author writes, this will fit in with Jesus's coming ministry to tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and lepers, to those who need a physician, not to those who are already righteous. Matthew's genealogy is showing us how the story of Jesus Christ contained and would continue to contain the flawed and inflicted and insulted, the cunning and the weak-willed and the misunderstood. Here is an opportunity ministry for crooks and saints. Sinners who had a few saintly moments, saints who had a few sinful moments, people who have all been, been all but forgotten, women who took incredible risks to their person for the sake of justice, they are the type of people Jesus makes part of his chosen family. No need to fit a certain mold or behave a certain way. It does mean, however, that there will be people in Jesus' fam- chosen family who surprise us. There might be individuals who rub us the wrong way. There might be people whose reputations mask their, mask their righteousness. As we delight in the good news that Matthew's genealogy, which shows us once again that Jesus loves us just as we are right now, may we also believe this, is, this same good news is for everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today, friends. The quote in today's message was from Gail Godwin's Genealogy and Grace. As you go from here, May you give yourself grace and may you also extend it to others as well. All the best, my dear friends. I'll talk to you soon. Take good care. Bye-bye.